So we're continuing in Mark this morning. I'm going to be reading in a moment from Mark chapter 5, verse 21. One of the gifts that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12 is the gift of faith. I've met a few people in my life who I consider to have a gift of faith. Uh, They trust God and believe God and see amazing things happen. And sometimes it might be something uh, miraculous, like a healing. Sometimes it might be a miraculous provision. But it always blows my mind uh, just the way God responds to their faith. We have people like that in our church, in fact. If you want to look at an example from history, you might be familiar with the story of George Mueller, who lived actually for most of the 19th century. He was an evangelist, but he also ran an orphanage and completely operated by faith. So stories are told that sometimes uh, he'd be seated with the children around an empty table with no food and they'd pray and the kids are like, well, what? What are we going to eat? He's like, God would provide. And what do you know? God would. Someone would turn up on the doorstep with food or with money. And uh, this just happened all through his ministry. He is one of the most inspiring examples of faith in, in history. And I'm always humbled by such people with such a radical faith. It's a, it's a trust God in the face of all evidence and see a miracle kind of faith. And so on that note, let's turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus has just been on the other side of Lake Galilee and driven demons out of a man. And then he crosses over and Mark says, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly. My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. 
He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Well, Jesus had been crisscrossing Lake Galilee from... Presumably, he's back in Capernaum now. So he'd gone from there over to Gerasenes and back again, presuming given the crowds that greet him, he is known, he's a celebrity here, which is a real contrast to on the other side of the lake where he'd driven out a legion of demons from a man uh, and the locals couldn't handle his power and said, please leave. Here he's greeted like a celebrity. And Mark introduces us to two characters in this story whose stories intertwine which is often a signal that he's trying to communicate something through these stories together. And when you see something like this, what you want to do is be looking at the comparing and contrasting, looking at repeating themes or words and seeing what the author is trying to communicate here. And of course, I've already let the cat out of the bag. Uh, I think one of the things, probably not the only thing that Mark is trying to tell us about is faith. And so first we meet Jairus. Jairus is one of the rare people in the gospel who is mentioned by name apart from Jesus in a core. And he begs Jesus to come and heal his daughter who's on the verge of death. And isn't it interesting as you look at these two people, Jairus and this anonymous woman, both, they just seem to have this absolute certainty. If Jesus comes and lays his hands on my daughter, she'll live. There seems to be no doubt there. Before Jesus can get there, he's interrupted by this woman uh, who isn't named. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Presumably this is uh, women's problems and had to endure treatments, whatever treatments ancient medicine prescribed to her, all unsuccessful. And having this condition would have been an absolute disaster for her apart from Uh, all the health issues and and inconvenience and everything. She was ritually impure. We talked about this last week, that um, uh, death and blood and and things like that were one of the things that made you ritually impure. You couldn't uh, participate in the life of the community. And so she would have been ostracised. And she actually shouldn't have been here. She shouldn't have been part of this crowd because everyone she's touching, whether they know it or not, she is making... Ritually unclean, she's defiling them under the Old Testament law. But she isn't going to let that stop her. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Again, do you hear the absolute certainty in those words? This is going to happen. Now, she's coming in faith. The the gospel makes that clear. But some scholars think she might actually be coming from the perspective that Jesus is some kind of magic man and that there's something magic going on here. If I, yeah, he's he's like a, uh, 
Magic Qi charger, you know, the wireless chargers. If I just put my phone against it, I'll get some of that electricity. Uh, a, a little bit like that. That might be so. I suspect Mark is trying to communicate something a little more than that, though. But in this case, either way, who cares? It works. She touches him. She immediately feels that she's been healed. Now the only thing left to do to get away before anyone catches her and realises that she's been making everyone unclean. But no. Jesus feels the power go out of him. He's so spiritually attuned. Have a think about this. This woman comes up to Jesus, doesn't ask for prayer, doesn't say, please lay hands on me. She grabs the hem of his robe by faith and takes power from Jesus. That makes my head spin. I don't know about you. Because in my theology, that's not how it's meant to work. But it did work, so my theology is probably a little bit screwy. You know, there have been times when I prayed for someone and I've felt a quickening of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. People who are a bit more spiritually sensitive than me sometimes talk about this sense of power being uh, flowing through them or, or transferring from them to someone when they pray for others. Either way, that makes sense to me because we are praying. We're sort of uh, being God's agents in that moment. Uh, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is, is given to me. I'll be with you. It's, it's as if he transfers his authority and he uses us to transfer his power. It's amazing that we get to be part of that. But we're still active in that. But in this case, she has taken it from Jesus. Jesus is so attuned to the spiritual realm that amidst the noise and jostling of the crowd, he can sense someone has... He feels... The power leave him. I don't actually know all what's going on here. I just want you to sit with this and maybe discuss it in your groups if you're meeting this week. Jesus senses something, not just physically that someone touched my robe and jostled it a little bit because it's Jesus Christ. No, this is different. Someone has touched me spiritually. So the woman's found out. Comes in fear and trembling before Jesus. Now I'm found out. Everyone's going to know that this whole crowd has to go home and do whatever you've got to do to be made pure again. And also, I've just broken some sort of rule. I've stolen something from this this man, uh, and and so she comes in trembling and falls before Jesus. And so we have a beautiful picture here because there's two things that Jesus does. Actually, one of them is something he doesn't do because Mark tells us what her problem was, but Jesus maintains her dignity. It's, it, there's no rebuke. There's no sense of what her condition has been. He doesn't embarrass her, which saves her incurring potentially the wrath of the crowd. And he assures her that her salvation, she, her faith has saved her and healed her. And salvation is often related to healing 
in the gospel. So maybe that's what Jesus means by your faith has saved you, your faith has healed her, or maybe he means spiritual salvation. Um, she trusted in Jesus even though she didn't fully understand what she was doing. But for our purposes, it doesn't really matter. Her faith was effective, and that's the point. And that's the second thing Jesus does, is that he affirms her faith. Whether she came with some theology that was slightly off, or whether she was being a bit rude and presumptuous, thinking she could come and just grasp this power this way, she's come in faith. Her faith has made her well. Her faith has saved her. She no longer has to live in isolation and shame. And Jesus commends her for her faith. It's her faith that has done this. And again, I'm just struck Jesus didn't lay hands on her. He didn't pray for her. She was healed when she reached out and touched him by faith and took his power, so to speak. And I'm challenged by that. What about you and what about me with our faith? I often come across people whose, frankly, their theology is pretty screwy, um, but their trust in God and God's grace in their life is so evident that it puts me to shame. Now, I think a good theological foundation is important. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a, a pastor and a, a teacher. But you know what? Theology doesn't move mountains. Theology doesn't heal people. Theology doesn't save people. Faith does. And it's this woman's faith, her trust in Jesus, her belief. All the same word, faith, belief, trust. All the same word in the Greek. Because Christianity is about a living faith relationship with a living risen saviour. A saviour who has promised his power to us. The kind of faith that grabs hold of the promises of God expectantly is the faith that sees miracles. Right when the woman's healed, People come up to Jairus and say, give him the worst possible news. His daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And I just pause there. I wonder what they mean. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's just said out of respect or out of skepticism. Is it Jairus? We're sorry. There's nothing more we can do. Jesus is a busy man. There's nothing he can do here. Let's just go and mourn your daughter. Or, you know what? We didn't really believe this gambit was going to work anyway. So let's just move on and, and get real. Jesus says no. Jairus believed Jesus could heal his daughter. Does he believe that Jesus can raise her from the dead? Don't stop believing. Only believe. It's as clear in the Greek as it is in the English. Only believe well we don't know how long this is all taken to unfold presumably it's taken some time for uh, how long his daughter's been sick and it's taken some time to go get Jesus and then this thing happens on the way um, but when they get to the house the mourners are already there everything is working against Jairus's faith no doubt there's 
bereaved relatives among the mourners, but there's also, it was just part of it and still is in places, the custom that you were expected to have professional mourners come in and make a big noise and there's mourning, uh, lament and flutes. And, and so when the tears turn into sneers, it's probably some of these professional mourners coming along and uh, Jesus is about to do them out of a dollar. Jesus kicks everyone else out, but he takes mum and dad and his three closest disciples and takes them aside into the inner room. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about when the disciples took Jesus on the boat and they took him along and talked about, I didn't mention the Greek word. Um, I think it's paralambano if anyone's following. Anyone speak Greek? Clearly I don't either. Um, but they, they means to take him along. And in Mark particular, it's just an ordinary word, word, but it can be have theological weight to it and seems to be Mark indicating a sort of discipling moment. And it's the same word that's used here. So he's just taking these people into an intimate moment. He's going to teach them something. But what are the parents thinking in this moment? They're hoping against hope. They're hoping... What they've heard Jesus say is... Because when Jesus kicked out everyone, she's not dead, she's asleep. Is she just asleep? Is she just in a coma? Maybe. But no, that's not what Jesus meant. Literally, I don't think. She's dead. These people knew dead. His daughter is dead. But Jesus is now in the room. And so then she's no longer dead. In fact, she's no longer sick. She gets up. Jesus says, give her something to eat. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. He says, don't tell anyone. How long do you think this is going to last? He's just raised a girl from the dead. He's just raised a very sick girl from her sick bed. It's going to last about 3.5 seconds before everyone finds out that Jesus has worked another miracle. But it gives him just enough time, I think, to, to get out and slip away. Maybe. There are times, aren't there, when we feel like gyrus, when we feel like everything is lost. We felt maybe the Lord made a promise and, and we hope for a breakthrough. We hope against hope and against the odds, but then it's not everything seems lost. Everything is lost. The girl was dead. There is no room for healing when someone dies. We were hoping maybe we could resurrect it. No, we couldn't find anyone. It was time to put that to bed. Whatever it is, relationships in your life, we hope against hope, but then everything is lost. Someone closes the door or the business folds or whatever it is in your life. And look, there is actually a time for letting go. There's a season for everything. Ecclesiastes tells us we all come to the end of our time on this earth. There's a time for letting go of things and a time for picking things up. But you know what? If Jesus has promised, Jesus can deliver. If he is in the room, there is still hope. He is the God who brings the dead back to life. 
And if he can resurrect a dead girl, he can certainly resurrect our hopes and our dreams. But we have to put fear aside and put on faith and draw aside with Jesus. We have to take hold of the edge of his cloak and believe. Let the power of God move by faith. To the respected synagogue leader who has just had this devastating news, he says, don't be afraid, only believe. To the ostracised woman, he says, daughter, your faith has saved you. So which are you today? You know, sickness and need and desperation is the great leveller. It's, it's in the moment our resources run out, whether it's medicine or money or time. It's in these moments that we all become paupers before Jesus. I'm aware, you know, we have rising inflation. Some people are having to make really difficult financial decisions. Uh, our hospital system isn't great. I don't think hospital systems are great anywhere from what I'm hearing. And, uh, you know, you want to get in and see a doctor, that can be good luck. You want to get into hospital, that could be good luck. And I'm like, what does that mean for us as Christians in regard to the physical realm and healing and that sort of thing? You know, we, we have lived in a society where we've been able to rely on our medical system and suddenly we can't. Is this an area we can come to God and say, everything seems lost, I can't get in to see the doctor, I'm in pain or I have this sickness or my child is sick? Did we grab hold of Jesus' robe in that moment? Is this an opportunity to see miracles, perhaps, that we would love to see but perhaps have never really believed for? We come into a system and a world that is making paupers of more and more people. Actually, both rich and poor alike, in many ways, if there's not a doctor around, there's not a doctor around. The synagogue leader would not have been a poor man. He would have been a wealthy man. The woman probably was poor. She spent everything on doctors, one of the other Gospels tells us. Jesus doesn't leave us as paupers. What a great equaliser. Both these people have a need And it is faith that sees that need met. In that moment, Jesus doesn't humiliate us. He calls us to faith. So where do you need a miracle in your life? Or what about the people around about you? You know, sometimes we can be a little bit like the crowd. It's all lost, let go. There's nothing more the teacher can do. Sometimes we need to be the voice of Jesus and say, only believe. Get rid of those other voices. Don't listen to them. Only believe. All is not lost. Jesus is in the room. How do we grab hold of the hem of Jesus' robe? I think one of the things we, we do, we cry out to God. We come to him in prayer. We let him draw us aside into the inner room. In prayer. 
so that we can hear his voice when all seems lost. Don't don't be afraid. Only believe. We come and we confess the truth of our hopelessness and hear your faith has saved you. I just realized I said that Jesus doesn't embarrass the woman, which is true. But the woman told him everything in that moment. She was embarrassed. She was humiliated. But Jesus, your faith, he turns that around and says, what a glorious thing. This amazing faith this woman has. Faith for your family, faith for your finances, faith for our church. And that's not to say things won't be difficult. But Jesus is in the room. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Mind-boggling faith these two people had. And mind-boggling miracles. Father, I come as a pauper when it comes to faith. I pray that you will increase my faith. Father, increase our faith, not just for our sake, but for the sake of people around us, for the sake of this world, this community, where things aren't getting any easier. But Jesus, we, we have you in this room. We have you in our hearts. And may people encounter you through us as we go with faith. Some of us, many of us need to confess our lack of faith, Lord. Increase our faith in Jesus' name. Amen.